We'll talk about some other scriptures, but this is one I really want everybody to read with us. I want to talk to you this morning about the topic of being whole and being complete because that is the emphasis of Christ himself was not just coming in and bringing healing in certain aspects or certain parts of our life, but bringing complete wholeness, bringing completeness to our life. And I think a lot of times we, we, uh, we see the areas that we're strong in, we emphasize those areas because it makes us feel better. We emphasize our strengths because it is our strengths. We've been taught in the church to kind of hide and ignore weaknesses. And actually, this is a 180 degree opposition to what Paul taught. And, and really what the forefathers of the church taught. When you start talking about strength of God, power of God, evident in your life. And I believe if we don't learn how to, to honestly, you don't have to uh, emphasize your weaknesses, and that's not what we do, but we have to understand that our weaknesses are just as much a part of us as our strengths, and that we need help in those areas, and that help's available, and that if we don't become a body who understands how to address our weaknesses and understand that Christ's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And we don't embrace those as well and keep trying to hide them, keep trying to just soothe them over and, and keep them from people finding out about our weaknesses and not even address them to Father and not get counsel from Holy Spirit as to how we're supposed to operate in the areas where we're weak. We're going to continue to just be a weak example of what Father meant for his bride to be or the bride of Christ to be, a weak example of what he meant for a revelation and a manifestation of who he is in the earth which Jesus was that perfect example of Father in the earth, we're never going to attain that. And honestly, what we're probably going to do is just hurt more people. How does that manifest? People come to the house and they see dysfunctional marriages, they see dysfunctional relationships, they see people who can't walk in freedom, they see people who can't, who've been dealing with the same issues 30 years in their life, have never gotten over them, then that's a pretty weak and watered-down expression of the power of God. And most of the time, or a lot of the time, that's what people see when they go to church. They hear husbands and wife argue in the foyer. They see dysfunctional relationships between father and mother and, and, and children. They see uh, children with no discipline. They see just all of these things that represent people who have the answer, yet we can't get any significant wholeness in our own life. And that is, not, uh, uh, that is not what God intends for us to be. That's why Jesus said it wasn't the healed, it wasn't those who are whole that need the physician, it's those who are sick. He was actually calling them sick, but they couldn't realize that they were sick. They thought they were whole. And what he was saying was, because you think you're whole, I can't really do anything for you. But those who will acknowledge that there's areas of their life that they're sick or weak in, my strength can be made perfect in their weakness. So it's not just about revival. It's not just about signs and wonders and glory if we, in our own lives, don't mature and grow. And some of us have been battling the same characteristic, attribute, 
you know, negative core value, whatever it is in our life, we've been the same person in that area our entire life. And the only constant about life is change. That's the only assurity of our entire life is that things are constantly changing. And we are supposed to be constantly changing for the better in the kingdom. If we have been kingdom people for 30 years and we haven't changed, we haven't made it to the water to be healed, so to speak, then that's on us. That's just simply a part of your life you refuse to change in. Matter of fact, you may actually like it. You may actually get soothing from the fact that you can't change or won't change in that area. You may actually wear that as a badge of honor. Well, that's just the way I am. That's the way my family was. That's the way I am, you know. But that's not a biblical approach to our individual lives. I, there's a lot, there's things about me I don't like. And I'm really tired of being that way. And I'm, I'm not going to be that way anymore. You know, I got really aggravated at Angela the other day. It was her fault. It really was. But my response to the situation was we had a guy pouring concrete and she gave him the wrong check. Well, dudes that pour concrete, they want their money. You know, they don't want to come by my house a week from now and get their money. So I had to leave a job and go meet her and get the right check and take him the check. Because she had a very valuable hair appointment she couldn't miss. <laughs> and I understand that. I, I really did understand that. Because if you know anything about getting a hair appointment as a lady, that's hard to do. Especially if you have a specific person you want to cut your hair. So I'm like, all right, I left a job now. I'm making money on this job, right? I had to leave it. So when we met, my reaction to the situation was not where it could have been. And I probably didn't relate or correspond as well as I should have. Uh, and then we discussed it later. Uh, and her response, but, but I don't, I don't like being a person who gets manipulated by my emotions. And that's exactly what happened. I was frustrated. I was a little upset. Uh, we've been trying to get this concrete poured for months, um, and finally getting it poured. And then, you know, and it's the, this is how it's playing in my mind. You can't even look at the check and see the name on the check. The check's in an envelope. Take it out of the envelope where you can read the name on the check. You know, these are things going on in my mind, and I'm letting, my, I'm letting myself get manipulated. And the more I do that, my emotions are being stirred, and I'm allowing my emotions to be employed by my flesh in a negative way. And I'm, I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm getting tired of being that guy. You know, and the, the example that we're going to look at this morning, this guy had laid by the pool for 38 years and hadn't got healed. And honestly, that's on him. Because when I study scripture, I don't just want to read the scripture and say, oh, look at this little, in this little cute story in the Bible. I, I, this is how I study. I try to read the context around the scripture that I'm reading. I'll even Google to get visual images of what I'm about to study. And I actually try to imagine myself in the crowd. I try to hear the sounds. I try to smell the smells. You can do that. You can, make, you can remember the smell of your mama's apple pie. You can make yourself do these things. And when you start looking at this 
passage, this story that we're given here in John 5, there's some very weird things that happen here. And in John chapter 5, it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I'll read it in the King James and then we'll try to talk about it, okay? If you don't like King James, just read it in whatever version you got. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool. You've all heard this story. Which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, which means house of mercy. I'll put that in there. Having five porches, that's actually what it means. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, the blind, the halt, the withered, all waiting for the moving of the water. So imagine this, man. If you Google this, it's not a really big place. If you've got a lot of people, you're packed in there. And all around are sick folk. And these sick folk have been laying there forever, seems like. Years. This dude we're about to talk about, 38 years he's been laying there. So you know the smell. It's crowded. Back in that day, you, you didn't bathe. You know that old story about, yeah, I'm going to take a bath Saturday whether I need it or not. That's kind of how the situation was. You know, so you've got this crowd, this throng of people, all these people coming into town because of the feast, people packing out everywhere. And if you come to this pool, nothing but sick people. So it's amazing to me first, and some people say, well, he had to go that way. If you really study the route, he didn't have to go that way. Maybe there was a specific route that Jesus was going to take and it was closed down due to a traffic jam, I don't know. But it's odd to me that he comes into Jerusalem and this is the first place he visits. Now maybe he was just walking by, but even at that, it's more miraculous that Jesus is walking by with his entourage. Just imagine you're in the crowd and you see him, you don't know it's Jesus maybe, but you know there's something about this guy that's coming this way who like Mike was talking about, he's bigger than life. And you watch him and, and there's so many people packed around this pool because the angel would come and ripple the water and when the water would ripple, they would roll off in the water and the first ones to roll off in the water would be healed. So it's packed and it's packed in there because people are trying to get to the pool. And Jesus picks this guy out. And my first thought is, why this guy? What is it about this dude that Jesus he just focuses his eyes on this guy. So, you know, when I'm studying, this is the first thing I ask, why this dude? Out of all the people around, and this is the only one he speaks to that is recorded, this is the only one he gives healing to. And then he goes on his way. So he walks over, and it says that there lay a great multitude of these people, and then I, I explain, verse 4, the angel comes down, and then first that's, in the water after the troubling, they're made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So the emphasis here is get healing on the sickness or infirmity that you have. Healing of a disease, healing of an infirmity, healing of maybe some type of, of birth defect or something that's happened in your life, some, some injury. You have some physical ailment that you want to get healing from. And so you roll off into the water and you get free from that ailment. And I understand why the emphasis is on that ailment. But just understand that people are talking about getting delivered and free from outside or even, you know, physical infirmity. That's what they're wanting free from. 
But to me, knowing that in the back of my mind plays into even more of a question as why Jesus asked the guy the question he asked him. I mean, wouldn't you think it's significant that he's laying by the pool? I mean, wouldn't you think it's obvious that this guy who's been laying there 38 years to get free is still laying there? He's not paralyzed. We know that. We'll read that more in the story. You would think after 38 years, you could claw your way to the front of the line and roll off in the water. And Jesus hones in on this guy, and then he he approaches him. And it says that he had this infirmity for 38 years in verse 5. And that's kind of the way we are. A lot of us have been carrying the same areas of our life for 38 years. And Jesus will come into your life and ask you the question, why are you still like you've always been 38 years ago? And we're laying by the pool wanting some miraculous event to take place, some encounter at a, at a uh, conference to take place to instantly heal us of something that we had the power to get deliverance from from the very beginning. But the question is not with the pool. The question is not with God. The question is not with the angel. The question is not with the people around. The question is not in the excuse that he gives. Jesus addresses him. And he asked him a question that blows my mind. It says when Jesus saw it, Jesus knew. So Jesus perceived. Jesus knew. How did Jesus know that he had been there 38 years? says, and Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. So Jesus perceived something about this individual. There was something about when Jesus scanned the crowd, there was Holy Spirit in Christ that fastened Jesus' eyes on this man and Jesus began to perceive information about this guy. Information that obviously nobody else knew. And then Jesus walks up and asks him one of the weirdest questions that you could ask somebody. Honestly, it's a question that would seem offensive if you were the guy laying there. It would be as if I ask you, you you have wrestled with something in your life for 30 plus years and you come up to me one Sunday morning when I say, if you need prayer, come up. And you come up and you say, I've been dealing with this all my life. I just need prayer. And I look at you and say, well, do you really even want to get free? You might be taken back by that. You might be offended by that because you would say, am I not standing here? And then I might say, well, you've been standing here for 38 years. And intellectually, we have this dialogue back and forth questioning because Jesus asked the man, he said, will thou be made whole? He walks over to this guy. He perceives that this guy's been laying there. And Jesus asks him an offensive question. It basically reads, do you want to be whole? And Jesus didn't ask him, did he want to be healed of his infirmity? Jesus didn't say, do you, what, what do you desire? Do you want to get up and run? You know, he didn't say, he asked him this question, do you? This is going to be important in a minute because Jesus meets this man again later on in the story. 
Jesus asked him a question. Do you want to be made whole? He didn't say healed. And see, the man's focus was on his infirmity. The man's focus was on the miracle he wanted. Because immediately the man responded with an excuse. And Jesus is trying to address the man as a man, as a complete man, not just a person who needs a healing. You know, and a lot of times in the church, especially in a revivalist culture or, or a, whatever you want to call it, Pentecostal culture, we focus on seeing signs and wonders and miracles and people healed. And that is as biblical as anything. That, that is just something that brings people and draws people and shows people an actual manifestation of the power of God. But what we focus on is who in here needs a healing. And nobody's addressing all of the other issues that we deal with in life. The low self-esteem, the backbiting, the lying, the people who love misery because other people dote on them whenever they're miserable. The people who, who say they won't deliver from depression, but they love being depressed because all these people call to check on them and they get their egos soothed by other people calling to check on them all the time. Or the people who get offended. The people who want to be a, a friend of somebody and that person can't be a friend with everybody, so they get offended because you're not showing me preferential treatment. All of these issues, these little nagging, destructive issues in our life that we won't address because honestly, they're, you know, they're like, uh, what's that Tommy boy? You know, when he goes in there, you know, you ever seen, if you hadn't seen the movie, you're lost. But anyway, that's the way we really are with these little minute issues. We like being that person who's known to blow up. We like being that person who's known to say whatever they're thinking. We, we actually wear that as a badge of honor when we offend people. You know, we'll leave here today and we'll have to be the center of attention at dinner. You know, I, I've been out to eat with, with believers and, and, and I've probably done this, so I'm not throwing stones at anybody. There's other things that, that you could throw stones at me about. But they'll get offended, you know, if we don't get the table on time, if, if somebody don't get to sit by somebody, you know, if, if, if somebody didn't go, are they mad at me? And there's all these questions that are circling in, in and around this group of people who just left the house of God. All these insecurities. All these, these rationales that are not godly and, and, and we see them and believe me, other people see them and, for, and year in and year out we don't address them. But, you know, we get broke arm and God heals that and we, we think that that is the power of God. That's all of the manifestation of the power of God is, yet we don't address our issues. We're, we're offended by sin. You know, people are living in sin and, and they want to talk to us or come up to us or, or come to church and we're offended. You know, or, we're, or we get delivered and then all of a sudden we put ourselves on this pedestal of judgment for everybody else who hadn't got that same deliverance the same exact way we got I've heard people argue about Teen Challenge versus the Pines versus some other program, and I'm like, really? Where's the base of that argument? Well, I went through Teen Challenge, and I got delivered some Teen Challenge. Wait. I got delivered through the Pines, so the Pines is wait. I don't give two cents about what program. Are you delivered? Yeah, then you're delivered. Everybody ain't the same. The issue is get delivered. Right? 
And we're arguing about those things. We're arguing about trivial things. We're arguing with our spouses. We won't say, I'm sorry. We won't say we need to change. We won't apologize. We won't try to live in harmony. Every day we get up, we're thinking about six months down the road. We're not talking about today. You know, until I can conquer today, I don't really even need to worry about tomorrow. Until I can appropriate myself and treat everybody like I'm supposed to treat everybody today, then I don't need to worry about tomorrow. And the reason, you know, why are you on this all the time, Pastor? It's because I see it in my life, and I know it's in your life because I'm around you. And so we don't want to be this way no more, do we? We don't want to be like this anymore. We want to have freedom. And I'm not just talking about the ability to cast out demons and lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That is a part of it. But I think most of us have kind of locked in some understanding at that level. But we're hiding all the other mess we don't want to change. We don't really want to change because we're afraid, we're so insecure that if we don't pitch a fit, we won't be the center of attention. And if we're not the center of attention, then we can't handle it because we're so insecure with who we really are as people. And in this story, Jesus asked this guy an offensive question. Will you be made whole? And the guy answers with an excuse. He says, sir, I have no man to put me in the water when the water's troubled. But while I'm on my way coming, another steps down before me. So we see here he has the ability to move. Because he says, while I'm making my way down to the pool, somebody jumps in for me. So he's developed an identity of being a person that loves sympathy. He loves to be that guy that people say, oh, bless your heart. You just can't make it down to the pool, baby. Maybe next time will be your time. I mean, you would think after 38 years, I'm just going to sleep in the pool. I'm just, I'm just going to roll myself off in the pool. And when the, the angel comes, I'm either going to get free or I'm going to drown. Because I'm not going to live on that blanket in this stinking hole anymore. You would think that. I mean, after 38 years, wouldn't you? And Jesus asked him a question, though. Jesus pierces to the center of the problem. Jesus is not addressing the physical. Because honestly, the physical ailment was nothing to Jesus. That's no big deal for Jesus to bring healing to your physical body. And honestly, this is, the, this is the revelation that we're getting in the church now, is that the supernatural power to see a bone put back together is really not that big a deal in the eyes of God. But to get a man to change at his core, that is the issue at hand. That's why you have people who operate in revival and they don't deal with their key issues and those key issues end up stomping out True revival. Because those key issues that aren't dealt with, what happens? It comes to light later on. We can lay hands on the sick. We can raise the dead, but we can't be faithful to our spouse. There's a problem there. And Jesus looked at him and he said, I'm not, I, this is my interpretation, so feel free to throw it in the trash can. Seriously. But my interpretation is Jesus said, do you really want to be made whole? Because if you do, I'm going to have to deal with the insecurities that you have and how you love sympathy. Because if you're made whole, you're going to take up your bed and leave and you're not going to be the center of attention anymore. 
then there's going to be a responsibility for you to live a testimony of what I've done for you. And so the man, again, surface level, Jesus comes into a house. Jesus speaks to us during worship. He says, draw me a little closer, you know, bring fire, purify me. We sing and all that. And Jesus is drawing us to the altar, you know, or, or something. And, and we, our minds go immediately to some outer manifestation of him on our flesh. That's why Jesus was calling me to the altar because he just wanted to give me power to lay hands on the sick. He does want to do that. But we won't listen because Jesus was calling you to the altar to deal with the mess you brought in the house that day. We're fighting on the way to church, talking to our, each other like dogs, and then we get drawn to the altar and we think that God's drawing us to the altar because he wants to anoint us as an evangelist. Instead of maybe God wants to talk to you about how you're treating one another. Because was it the miracles and the signs and wonders that Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples, by how you lay hands on the sick and sin recover? No, that is not what he said. He said, the world will know you're my disciples based upon how you love each other. Love shows up in action. So basically what he was saying is, your actions and how you interrelate with each other and love each other and show honor to each other and respect each other, that's what's going to separate you in this world. Because the world has seen people who can operate in the miraculous and then cheat on their wife. And I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying if we don't get right, we're going to do the same thing. I'm not saying I'm going to cheat on my wife, but whatever insecurities that I refuse to deal with will be exposed. Not because God likes to expose them, but because life happens. If you're a hothead, you eventually won't be able to hide that in the house. It's going to come out. And people are going to see it. And people are going to say, whoa. If you're real insecure, people are going to see it. And then there'll be people in the house who are not right in their core, and they'll see that you're insecure, and then they'll, they'll cling to you so they can manipulate you. And now both of you are operating in your insecurity. They're manipulating you, and you're getting manipulated. All this will happen, guys, here in this house. If we refuse to be healed in our core. This is what concerns me when we bring in inner healing and people say, I'm good. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not good. You're not perfect. You're not, you don't have your ducks in a row. You got mess you need to deal with. So do I. You know, there were some things in my session that got brought to light by, by God, not by Mike and Sharon, by God, because I asked him, and he spoke to me. There was things that I did not know were there. People say, well, I know I can check myself. That's a direct contradictory to Scripture, because Scripture says you can't know yourself. Only God can know you. And the only safe way is to become more like him. So Jesus asked him the question, he gives him an excuse, and Jesus tells him, take up your bed and walk. All right, verse 8. Now, if you go down to verse 14, Jesus runs into the guy again. Jesus splits, because you know, most of the time when Jesus performs a miracle, all it does is inside a riot, and they want to kill him. So I want to walk the earth like Jesus did, okay? Okay? That's another reason you've got to have your character above board. You've got to have who you are above board. If you're praying for God to set you out front, he won't do it. 
if you don't get your character in order. Well, that's not true. I've seen people get set out. I, I, I don't understand that. I'll just tell you straight up. I don't understand that. But if you don't get your character in order and revival comes, when revival comes, that center will be the center of attention. And there will be people in the world who love nothing more than to try to undermine what God's doing. And they'll pick you apart. They'll figure out how to log in to your IP address and see what you've been looking at, see who you've been talking to. They'll figure out how to get by your passwords and look at your Facebook and who you've been talking to on Facebook and messaging. I don't care how many times you delete it. It's on there. They'll watch you out in public. They'll, see all, they'll study your finances, man. They'll go back. Why? Just to tear you apart because you're offending their little sanctuary. And they'll pick up any stone they can to throw at you. So Jesus heals the guy of his physical infirmity and then he departs. And Jesus later on is going to give him instruction on how to live free. In verse 14, it says, Jesus finds him in the temple and he said to him, Behold, thou art made whole. I think that that's weird again that Jesus says it like that, man. It's obvious the dude's been healed. The dude is up and walking. He took his bed up and left. Jesus meets him in the temple and the guy's walking. He's been healed. And Jesus says, you've been made whole. And this is one thing about getting free and living free. You can come to the altar, have an experience, an encounter with God, and you actually are given freedom. But coming to the moment of being set free and living in that freedom are two totally different things. And Jesus makes another, just to me, it's a mind-blowing comment. He says, you've been made whole, sin no more. That's not something you really hear now. Sin no more. He said, you've been made whole, now I'm going to tell you how to live in it. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. These are the words of Jesus. And in the day of grace, nobody wants to talk about the repercussions of disobedience. God is not, and this is where some people who take scripture totally out of context say that if you sin, God will put sickness on you because you sin. God's put cursing on no one. Guys, if you live under a curse, that's you. There are curses. There are curses out there. There's an enemy out there. His entire life exists. His, his existence is a curse. He's out there. When you're living in obedience and you're pursuing God, I'm not talking about perfect people. I'm talking about people who are truly pursuing God, truly open to being made whole, people who are truly open to God and pursuing Him with their heart out of love, there's a difference between that person who, who would mess up and another person who lives in complete and total disobedience. Somebody who knows there are issues with their life and they just won't deal with them and they say, the heck with the Holy Spirit, whatever Holy Spirit's saying, I'm going to live the way I want to live. When you do that, you make a choice. You make a choice to put yourself under a curse. Because God said, you have set before you this day blessing and cursing. You choose. Right? 
So if I choose to live in disobedience to the word of God, I can put myself under a curse. It's not from God. It's just there. You have promises from God that what he's blessed, no man can curse. That's true. But you can curse yourself simply by choosing to walk in disobedience. And Jesus said, go, you, you've been made whole. You've been set free, made whole. This is how you live in that wholeness. Quit sinning. In other words, quit doing things. Quit accepting things about yourself that you know you need to change. Because if you don't, you can make a choice to live cursed. You can make a choice to live under a curse with your words, with your finances, with anything that pertains to you. And people don't like to wrestle with that, but I mean, that's Jesus' words. This is not Isaiah the prophet. This is not Paul interpreting something. This is coming from the mouth of the king. And his whole thing was about you don't have to live cursed. You can live in the full abundance of anything that heaven has to offer. But you have to make that choice. In other words, if you, if you deal with, uh, and I've gone long enough. I didn't get to the other part. But if you live long enough and there's parts of you that you know you need to change and you absolutely refuse to change those, You've made a choice to open yourself up to the enemy in that area. And I promise you, all he's going to bring your way is steal, kill, and destroy. And so in that area of your life, there's going to be a continual door open for the enemy to try to come in and wreak havoc in your life in that area. So it's not just about, hey, do I have a sickness in my body that I need healing from? Do I have an ailment, physical ailment do I need healing from? It's not just about, and I, I honestly believe, I, I, I'm in total agreement with Paul Manwaring. Inner healing must accompany supernatural. If it does not, the supernatural revival and move of God will be destroyed because people won't deal with their inner issues. And if God wants to set us up on a hill as a city that can't be hid, I'm not saying we're perfect, guys. I'm saying that we're healed and whole and we're pursuing perfection. God's perfect, right? We're pursuing Him. So we're pursuing perfection. And to say, I can't relate to people in that way, I can't deal with my issues, is just you're speaking from that part of your father, which is the liar. To say you can't, there's nothing about God in that. To say that's just me and I don't want to change, there's, nothing, there's no characteristics of God in that. That's all a lie. One of the first things in inner healing, what lie are you believing about yourself? That's why inner healing has accompanied the supernatural. Well, this is just who I am. This is just how I was made. Okay, so even so, if it's not a characteristic of God, if it doesn't look like God, if it's not like God, we got to change it. Greed. You know, a lot of the things that we call favor on our life uh, business-wise is greed. Simple greed. A lot of the things that we disguise as blessing and favor is nothing more than manipulation. A lot of things that we want, you know, we've, guys, you've got to admit, you've, 
you've done things that you knew when you were about to do them that God wasn't in it, and you rationalized it to the point you put God in it. You know when you relate to other people if there's inappropriate things there. I don't like thinking some of the things that I think sometimes based on my past, based on my history, and the things that I've opened up in my past. And the enemy tries to throw them up. That's not sin. The Bible says you sin when you're led astray by your lust. And when the lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. So having the enemy flash those things in your mind is not the sin. You know? But I don't want to have those thoughts. I don't want to have those feelings. I don't want to battle that constantly. And the reason that sometimes we do that is because we open ourselves up to that. Just these little insignificant, what we think, ways of lifestyle every day. We let things build. We let conversations take place in our mind that we shouldn't be having. We entertain uh, music. Music music is a, is a teleporter. Oh, man, I'm not getting up here and trying to preach against, you know. But if you hear a song and it takes you to a place that you shouldn't be going, you ain't got any business listening to it. So we listen to songs that remind us of old girlfriends, old boyfriends, old situations. We, we, we listen to music that remind us about when we were doing things we shouldn't be doing. And I'm telling you, it transports you there. And here comes this flood of feelings. And you know what? You like it. So you entertain it. And then you wonder why when you go home that evening you have uh, incorrect responses to people in your life. It's a day-to-day thing. It's a day-to-day life. And it's not we're going to show up three years from now and God's going to make us what he wants us to be. If we don't do the day-to-day steps, we've programmed ourselves. we programmed ourselves to do things a certain way based upon how we were taught when we were little. We have these, what do they call them? They're like, um, I don't know, Mike knows all those cool, fancy words, and Angela tells me I make up words, so I won't, uh, I won't try to throw a word. I do make up words. I love those George Bush, you know, little things on YouTube where he's making up all those words. I think maybe I got, you know, that tendency. See, you know, he was a great man. But anyway, uh, it's like a re-editing, I think he called it, the way we think. We can do that. We have the power to do that. If you, in life, trained yourself to depend on some outside chemical, whenever you got in a stressful state in life, you can re-edit that. If you trained yourself to, to rely on that, you can train yourself to rely on something else. Some people come out of lifestyles and in marriage they have problems relating to their wife even intimately because they've trained themselves to respond to a certain stimuli that they have to re-edit now because it's impure. And so now instead of allowing visual aids to pass through their mind while they're trying to relate to somebody else, they have to retrain themselves. Don't squeeze you know, in your chair too much or squirm up. You, everybody know what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is, guys, we, we have to start dealing with who we truly are. We have to accept who we are in God. That's one problem that most, I was talking to a guy yesterday, and he was really, it was a good thing, but he was really asking me some serious questions about his life and why 
people respond to him in a certain way. And I just simply told him, I said, you know, it's, it's honestly, if you want my true opinion, it's the greatness of God on you. And people can see that. But that carries responsibility. It carries a weight. And that you're going to have to, you're going to, have to train yourself in how to handle that weight. Because if not, it'll destroy you. But you've trained yourself to respond this way, and you're going to have to edit that response to respond a different way. Because honestly, what's on you, a lot of people crave what's on you already. And they're talking to me like they don't know what I'm talking about, and and I was telling them, you have the power and authority to edit anything that's negative in your mind that's against God. You have the power to change it. You have the power to restructure the way you think. We see it all the time. We see it all the time in the world. And the only thing is we don't want to apply it in the house of God. So this morning, all, the whole message, and I, I really probably didn't really have a, a, do a good job extrapolating that story, but I would encourage you to go home and in John 5, put yourself in that position and ask God the hard questions. My question was, why did you, why did you pick this guy out? Why, why did you ask him that offensive question? And then let Holy Spirit talk to you about, do you want to be made whole? That's the true question. You've been dealing with the same thing for some of you not very old, maybe eight years. Maybe Kenzie has tendencies and emotional instability in her life that she don't like. She don't like being the way she is. Maybe she's learned it. The truth is, the question is, do you want it gone? And if you want it gone, I'm just picking on you. This is not serious. I don't have any insight or any, you know, words of knowledge or discernment towards you. I'm just using an example. If you want it gone, it can be gone. You can re-edit that so that your emotions are stable and that they are controlled by you to be employed by you. They were given to you by God to enhance your experience. But they will manipulate you if you allow them to. So the question this morning is, do you want to be whole? Because if if your marriage or your relationships, maybe your relationships with your parents, maybe your relationships with a brother and sister that you really want to reestablish, but you can't because you have too much pride. You won't go to them and say, I'm sorry. You want them to come to you and beg your forgiveness. All those things are within your control. You hold the cards to your own life. Nobody can force you to do anything you don't want to do. We all know we do what we want to do. That's the truth of the matter. And if we want to change and we don't want to be that person and we see negative things about ourselves, I'm not talking about the size of your thighs. You can change that. But I'm talking about issues, real issues. Okay? I'm talking about, you know, Things in us that we know are there that we know shouldn't be there. You can change that. The word of God says with man it may be impossible, but with God all things are possible. And that applies to your inner man. So today, next week, think about that. Don't, you know, think about who am I? Is there anything that needs to be changed? Is there anything negative about me? Because I promise you others see it. 
And that's something else, too. Get you a person in life that can be a true friend. And then ask them where you need to change. Because I promise you, they see it. But the thing is, you got to be in control so that you don't get mad and storm out and act like a little child when they tell you what you need to change. You know, I, I sent out a survey to try to ask people, leadership, where could Pastor Lee improve? What, what's the negative things that you see about him and the positive things? And you guys are so nice and loving. Most people wouldn't say anything negative. That's not realistic. I know I have negative qualities, even about the way I produce a message. Are you critiquing me this morning? Okay. Aunt Ashlyn has her critique somebody. I was really excited because I thought, now, the scientific critique, and she can, she'll tell me where I need to improve. At least she'll tell me, scientifically. All I'm saying is, you got to get, I'm just rambling. I'm really not trying to. But this is important. This is important. Really try to find somebody over the next couple of weeks. If you want to wait till after Christmas so that you can make it through Christmas without being depressed about who you really are, then that's fine. But get somebody in your life that you know loves you because somebody that really loves you, they're not going to hurt you. They're not going to manipulate you. And ask them, what do you see about me? What have you examined in my life? What do you examine when you're around me and my, my wife? Can I improve? What, what about me and my children? You know, none of us have done life perfect. If you want to dissect my relationships with my children, you could do that. But you ain't going to come up with anything I hadn't already dissected a million times. But if I'm abrasive, which some people say I am, I need to know that. Because in my mind, I don't think I am. But the truth is I am. So it don't really matter what I think, does it? And I got to have somebody that will tell me in love, man, you, you know, you probably shouldn't have said that like that. You might should have come at this angle. Me and Paul bounce things off each other, and we don't really worry about if we offend one another. So you got to have people in your life that will do that for you and tell you the truth, even if they look at you and say, dude, the problem with you is you don't want to be whole. Because, you know, God's been counseling you for 38 years, and you ain't rolled off in the water yet. He didn't say I rolled off in the water for 38 years and I ain't got healed yet. He ain't even got in the water yet. I mean, every time the water ripples, I'm going to jump in the water even if I don't get healed. I'm at least going to get wet. You got to bathe. I know he stink. So I love you guys. Everybody stand and we'll just dismiss. Anybody need prayer? I know everybody could probably come up now and say, I need prayer. But I'm going to leave that as a personal issue between you and God. Because Holy Spirit is our counselor. This is one of the emphasis that I'm seeing in Scripture right now is that Holy Spirit is our counselor. So we all need counseling. So go to Him and ask Him. I ask God, okay, you showed me this part of me. Now I don't know how to change it. How do I change it? And He'll show you during the day practical life steps you can take to change who you really are. So, Father, this morning, if you need physical healing, come up. We'll pray for you in, in, in the prayer of faith. You'll, you'll be healed. It's that simple. If not, Father, we just seal this in our hearts. We seal it in our mind. We seal it in our spirit. Because each of us have things about ourselves that we need to change.
Because honestly, I believe most people in this house, if not everybody, we really want to be a true reflection of you. We really don't want Christianity in the way it's presented or a religious spirit in the way it's presented. I mean, we're only here because wherever we were in our, in our life wasn't doing the job. And we were hungry for something else. You brought us here. Your desire for us is that we are whole and that we actually become like you. That is not a fantasy. That is a reality that can be realized in you. So, Father, just help us by breaking those walls down, Holy Spirit. And the rebellious people that refuse your voice, we just can pray for them. That's all we can do. They're not going to listen to you. They're sure not going to listen to us. But just, Father, I know you're relentless for them. Just pursue them. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys, and we're going to pray.